0: Welcome in to another new podcast from the AMP Publications team. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, news editor with Coatings Pro Magazine and Materials Performance Magazine, bringing you up to date on all sorts of current events within the association and the world of corrosion control and protective coatings. One of the features that we've been doing in the magazine is what's called a member profile looking at key influencers that are working not only within their company, but also for the broader association and the industry to make this a better place for all of us. I think someone that clearly fits that criteria is Sam Navarro, Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at IPC Industries. And I'm thrilled to have him on this episode. Sam, good afternoon, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing well, and I think a good place to start for anyone that isn't familiar with you or IPC, just tell us a little bit about your role with IPC, your career in the corrosion and protective coatings industry, and a bit about the company as well.
1: Okay, so my name is Sam Navarro. Um, I started in the paint business as a delivery driver when I was 19 years old. Uh, over the last 21 years, I've worked for several of the largest coating manufacturers um, internationally. And um, then I got into the contracting side where I worked for one of the largest soft craft contractors I've also worked for the largest pipe coatings uh, facility in the United States. uh, One of the most specialty coating shops in the United States. And now I'm the Vice President of Business Development and Marketing at IPC based out of Santa Fe, Texas. We are a a good old fashioned blast and paint company that focuses on sandblasting, painting, the application of protective linings for storage tanks and fireproofing. Um, As my role states, I'm on the business development and marketing side um, I look at business development a little bit different than the industry standard, where I'm not necessarily in sales. I'm actually here to develop our business and take us into the next uh, phase or the next chapter of of our business. So I'm heavily involved with our craft recruiting. I'm involved on the HR side of the business. I uh, new technologies, uh, safety, obviously, and, um, you know, obviously dealing with customers as well.
0: And where are your licenses and your certifications? I know you've worked uh, both with NACE and now AMP to get some of those.
1: Yes, sir. I'm a level three NACE inspector. I got into the business uh, on the NACE side of it uh, when I was 26 years old, and then I became a level three NACE inspector in 2010. Awesome. So you've been doing
0: this about 20 years now, right? Yep, just over half my life. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So what are the ways in 2022, as we head towards 2023, what are some of the things that you're doing now in terms of your role, vice president of business and marketing at IPC Industries, business development that is, uh, what are some things that a paints and coatings company is considering in 2022 that they might not have been considering when you started 20 years ago, what has sort of the evolution of the industry felt like for you over these past two decades?
1: So I think it it actually uh, was at a certain level when it went downhill. And now we're realizing that that was the wrong direction. And so we're kind of trying to climb our way out of it, where when I was younger, there was a lot of opportunities for uh, people to, you know, uh, people to grow in the business. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily able to grow in the business anymore. So a lot of times what you're finding is people aren't investing in the younger generation of their companies like they used to. And so what we started doing, we started pushing more and more people. uh, We started pushing more and more people towards the engineering side of the business or the inspection side of the business. And we started to lose these craftsmen over the years, especially through the, the great retirement, right? is, is uh, we're losing these craftsmen and not enough people are coming back in. So we've realized that, um, you know, there's a, there's a huge need for bringing in uh, fresh blood, if you will, um, to, to our industry, to our business itself. And uh, it's, it's something that I take really personal. It's something that I'm heavily involved with and I'm passionate about is giving back um, to the youth. And trying to show them another option because, you know, I I didn't take the college route and Mm -hmm. uh, I became a father at 17 and, you know, I left high school and and just kind of went to work. And the the coatings business, the corrosion business has been great to me. And so uh, I just want to give back.
0: And so thinking about the industry as a whole from a holistic perspective, it feels like what you're saying is that at the top of the food chain, certainly in terms of like technology development, and then some of the services providers like the inspectors those segments of the industry are doing relatively okay but it sounds like the further downstream you go as we get towards the contractors the actual coding applicators the true blue-collar jobs those are the ones that are sort of disproportionately um feeling the crunch now relative to 20 years ago is that a fair assessment or even 10 years ago for that matter
1: absolutely so you know, it, it somehow lost its um, its allure, if you will, to work with your hands for a little while. Um, but I think it's, it's pretty interesting because if you look around, we're starting to see some of these artisan crafts come back. So you're mm-hmm. starting to see, you know, standalone butcher shops or you're st- starting to see standalone bakeries again. You're starting to see farms again, smaller farmers. You see farmer's markets. You see all these things popping back up. And that all trickles down to the fact that there's an interest in working with your hands again uh what we have to do as an industry in my opinion is make sure that the younger generation understands that that opportunity is there and what can you get from it
0: so i know that you've taken on a pretty active role on that front in recent months and years and i know you're really working with a local high school in the greater houston area Uh, talk about the program that you've put into place to potentially sell some of the younger generation on the benefits of fulfilling that shortage and working with their hands, as you said.
1: Yep. So um, I've worked for several or worked with several organizations mentoring, um, you know, younger guys, uh, men and women, and, and pushing the industry. It was last year, that I had asked my boss, Clay, if he would support the idea of me working with the Texas City High School uh, Industrial Trade Center, where they teach uh, the trades, to see if we could, you know, kind of come up with a very basic curriculum and training plan for our first year. And then upon graduation, we would bring these young men uh, in to work with us. And surprisingly, and I'm very proud of it, you know, he he supported it 100 percent and and, Uh, We were actually able to sign three young men up, uh, and they're still working for us.
0: One of the things that's noteworthy as far as the craft worker shortage is that I'm sure you're seeing a lot more lucrative financial careers that result from that because you have this huge shortfall, this need, and yet there's obviously so much investment when it comes to people wanting to protect their assets from – corrosion or boost the aesthetic appeal, whatever it may be. So one way or another, these jobs need to get done. And so the trickle down effect of all of this is that it's becoming very financially lucrative for young people to get in this industry what do they respond like when you tell them some of the, uh, you know, the financial numbers and what they can do in this industry, even without a four year degree or anything close to that?
1: Well, when I presented to the, the high school, um, last year, you know, I was pretty blunt and honest with them. You know, it's a dirty business. It's a hard business in, in Texas, especially, uh, it's a hot business. Um, you know, it's, 108 degrees outside, and it's probably 20, 30 degrees hotter in a process unit. Um, so it's hot work. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you, you're going to make great money, and you're going to work great hours, and you don't have to carry over any student debt. And you can sit there, and you can uh, earn an honest living, right? Mm-hmm. Like right now, there's a, a tremendous amount of folks with great degrees that cannot find good paying jobs because there's uh, we're overloaded with them. And so, you know, you're swimming in debt and you can't find a job that pays what you said or what they told you was going to pay. And here we have these, uh, you know, uh, we have these good careers open where, um, you know, it's, it's right there. Just a little bit of training and we can boost you up little by little. And if you come in and, you know, everything goes smoothly, then, you know, by all means. That's going to be a great you know, career mm-hmm. for you.
0: What are you seeing as far as the projected shortfall? I know everybody has their own numbers, but just generally speaking, how many workers do we need? How short are we? And as a result, how important is the outreach that
1: people like you are doing? Um, so I read an article, it was an API that they forecasted that by 2026, there was going to be a shortage of 30,000. Uh, oil and gas professionals, both on the engineering and on the craft side, um, short. And so, I mean, that's a staggering figure, right? Right. Um, Here, I can tell you that, you know, it's the the amount of folks who can come in and pass the necessary uh, skills assessment on our side that we put our folks through. Then the background requirements that are requested by you know the major oil and gas companies and then the drug screen um, requirements from the oil and gas industry, you're really starting to limit that pool.
0: What type of feedback do you get when you lay these facts out to the next generation? What are some of the common questions they have? Uh, are people on board immediately or um, just what are you generally hearing when you go out into the community and tell the younger generation about this? Um, you know, my,
1: my responses that I got were the feedback that I got was, was pretty honest because the way that I did it was when I did these presentations, I I made it pretty blunt and simple, right? Like this Mm -hmm. isn't easy work. This isn't, uh, always fun work. It's good work and you can make a great living. If you're interested in talking about it more, here's an application and I went, and I had uh, I'd say probably 18 or 50 students uh, apply. And out of all those students, the main thing that I wanted to do was make sure that these folks were actually interested in it rather than just making a living. Because I had several students that wanted to be welders or wanted to be, you know, pipe fitters or wanted to be this, that were just looking for a job that they could work at while they got their, their degrees or their certificates in, you know, whatever trade they were looking at. And my thing to them is, I need folks who are committed to what we're doing as an organization. And Mm -hmm. so the three young men that we hired here, two of them are craft workers who work inside of one of facilities in Texas City. And then the other one, actually, he possessed a lot of uh, uh, skills, computer skill sets, real good communication, bilingual, very smart. And, And I actually brought him into our corporate office to be a corporate admin. So he is now learning. He's working directly for me learning the ins and outs of the recruiting process mm-hmm. and he's going to do the same training as everybody else right so uh, one thing that i'm adamant about is if we're hiring people we should at least know what we're talking about mm-hmm. and so this young man is actually able to connect all the blast hoses he actually knows how to blast he knows what an SP 10 is you know he knows all the basics of blasting is he a 100 solid blaster no but he does know you know his way around a blast rig and then He's actually going to spend a week on a job site here soon where he's going to have to actually work with a crew to learn what it's like out there. Because especially right now, it's so hot outside that we have to remember what it's like to be the men and women behind the hose, uh, doing the work because, um, you know, how can we tell them what to do if we don't know exactly what, what entails, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. How important is it to target specifically the younger generation? I know you've talked about going out to various uh, high schools and these trade organizations, and I just feel like to fill the gap that's out there, you mentioned the projected 30,000 number by 2026 you're not gonna see that filled by say white collar to blue collar conversions, people that are 35, 40 years old for any number of reasons. I think to really fill that type of gap, and we're talking about tens of thousands, you probably need um, mindsets shaped at a younger generation because this is the kind of field that people tend to get into right when they're, you know, upper teenage years, low 20s, Th- that general age r- range, right?
1: And I think that the, the desire is there. I literally had a phone interview at one thirty today with a young man named Alan, who, you know, he's been quote unquote, working as a painter for three years. He's 22 and, you know, he was making X amount of dollars. And I said, okay, well, when you're working for us, you know, this is what we require. And the first thing he said is, well, will you train me? And I said, yeah, of course Do you want to be trained. And, you know, his exact words were, well, I've worked here for uh, three years and I haven't really learned much. And so, you know, we have to look at it from both sides. The craftsman has to uh, want to be trained, but the company also has to make the time and the initiative to Mm -hmm. train the employees that want to be trained. Mm We are small enough as an organization with only 140, 150 craftsmen where we can still do those hands on things. It's really hard when you're looking at the the organizations that have, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 employees. Mm -hmm.
0: You're obviously very successful at what you do, and you could easily concentrate just on what you're doing at IPC now and clearly bring in a decent return for your family, live comfortably, just based on the projects that you do. Why is it so important to you to go the extra mile and sort of – you know hopefully shape the next generation coming in behind you as well
1: you know i was uh very lucky to to have the the men in the life that that i had uh mentors that helped me they saw some potential and they invested their time and and, you know their money and efforts into me and so ever since then you know, I've got a daughter that's about to graduate from Texas a and I've had a, a great life uh, because of this industry. And I have, I've always felt like, you know, we have to give back as well. That's the the best part of this whole deal is just being able to, to watch some of these guys, uh, you know, progress. I saw one of the young men that I hired earlier today and I said, well, how do you like it? He said, man, I love it here. He says I, I I got a great crew and and I enjoy it. I mean, think about this: this is an 18-year-old guy um, working in 120-degree heat in FRCs, hard hat, a mask, gloves, steel-toe boots all day long? He loves it, and so that makes it all worth it. I mean, is it always um, fun? The answer is no. Uh, is is it? Does it always work out? You know, no. But at the end of the day, if if we're all focused on giving back and developing the industry you know, industry, the betterment of the industry, then I feel like that's something that we should be proud of, right? Is giving back to those who, who need an opportunity, who need a spark. What can and
0: should be done at an association level to help with this dynamic? I know you've done some things recently with Jim Kunkel, who's on our staff at AMP in terms of presentations, trying to get the word out. What do you see as AMP's role or just that of an association in general when it comes to uh, supporting and um, hopefully pushing along initiatives like what you have done and are currently doing in the Southeast Houston area?
1: So I've had several meetings with, with AMP uh, representatives, including Bob Chalker, and I'm really excited about the stuff that they're trying to do. And Emerge is coming up, and that's a program that I'm really excited about. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've really – I think everybody recognizes that we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And there's no hiding that problem any longer. And so the deal is is if we want to continue – Uh, trying to live without acknowledging the problem, eventually it's going to catch us. Um, And I think that AMP recognizes it. Um, You know, I've had several discussions with Kim Ray uh, about this whole thing, and and I think she recognizes it. She's trying real hard uh, to do it, but what we need is we need the owner's uh, support, and then we also need the contractors to get behind it and support as well. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: From that standpoint, what do you think about the merger of NACE and SSPC into AMP? Because it sounds like you're especially talking about the SSPC uh, legacy audience. We're talking about these contractors that have really struggled in the past decade to get the numbers that they need in terms of craft workers out in the field. Now that you're seeing a more end-to-end offering within AMP in terms of you know, not just the contractors, but now you're putting them together with the inspectors and people all along the food chain, if you will, of this industry, does that potentially bring greater awareness to this shortage on the craft end? What do you think about the merger and how that potentially fits in with um, the initiative and the awareness that uh, that you're trying to bring to this problem?
1: It's a pretty loaded question. Um, So I'll be the first one to admit, I wasn't thrilled with the merger at first, Mm -hmm. and I really wasn't a huge fan of the way that it was handled at first. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an old mace guy, okay. um, but then uh, coming to the contracting side, obviously, uh, I worked a lot closer with the SSDC side. Um, After several conversations with, with Bob Chalker and some of the other AMP folks, I feel like the... The mission has been established on bridging the gap. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do firmly believe that AMP wants to bring in more contractors. I believe that um, contractors in general are going to have to rediscover the reason that they're doing what they do. And What I mean by that is, is we started to lose focus as an organization on how vital the actual contractors, the applicators are Mm -hmm. to this business. You can have the most advanced technology on earth and it will fail if an applicator is not trained properly, supervised properly, or quite frankly, isn't motivated to make your product work. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that as an industry, as an organization, AMP needs to double down and really make an effort to getting the contractor buy-in again.
0: What are some of the steps that they could potentially take to do that? Is there anything concrete when you're talking to Bob or anybody else within AMP that you think could really help get people bought in on this concept?
1: Yeah, I think that, I mean, in several of the the conversations that I've had with folks, I think a lot of it is just, you know, engagement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Getting some of these um, AMP officials and representatives to actually go out and talk to to contractors, to to listen to them, what their needs are, what their wants are, what do they look for as a business, and also to you know really um, stress the importance of the applicators to owners and engineers, um, because again, the best coding systems, the best CP systems in the world are worthless without the folks that install them.
0: Where do you think we go as far as the next five to 10 years? Do you think we're in a better place uh, a decade from now? You mentioned that really some of the issues that we're having now basically trace back to the emphasis or potentially lack of emphasis 10 years ago and the lack of appeal to working with your hands and some of these dirty jobs, if you will, Are you optimistic that we're going to be in a better place a decade from now? And if so, what does that look like?
1: In a better place, do you mean an industry or IPC?
0: Well, I mean the industry, the the initiative that you're trying to do as far as uh, improving the craft worker dynamic and AMP's role in doing that as well.
1: As an industry, I think that the biggest uh, uh, tragedy that we're the biggest mistake we're making is we're commoditizing craftsmen. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that, that that's happening. Um, I hope that sooner than later people realize the importance of treating people um, with respect that they do and that we come to a point where we get back to the, the smaller companies and not necessarily companies that are owned by private equity groups uh, and mm-hmm. banks. Because that's when you start to lose uh, what made these older companies, these legacy companies, uh, so great is when it was a family business or when it was a smaller business, uh, they were actually able to invest in their employees. Right now, as an industry, we are doing more to just, um, you know, man a project or throw warm bodies at it rather than actually put skilled craftsmen on it. Mm Mm-hmm. For
0: anybody that wants to get involved or just see what they can do to potentially help you or just this broader initiative, wherever they are, of course, I'm sure there are similar things that either are going on or perhaps someone else can start it themselves. um, How would you advise they start? If someone's listening to this and wants to try and make a dent in basically overcoming this, where should they start with that type of of, uh, opportunity?
1: Well, I think that, um, I think that, um, you know, the, they can always call me, um, I'll always, you know, share input and advice on how we do things. Um, I also, you know, think that they should, uh, look at, um, you know, local trade schools mm-hmm. that are happening, uh, they're everywhere right now, which is really, really cool to see, um. I think there's trade schools and then, um, you know, again, just getting out and active. You've got to put your boots on the ground. If you have helpers, what are you doing to train those helpers to become painters? And, and you know, from if they're a brush and roll painter, what are you doing to teach them how to spray? And so it's it's a matter of just uh, constantly trying to evolve your company and the industry. hmm
0: for anyone who wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Phone, email, what's the best way that someone that wants to learn more from Sam Navarro's perspective can
1: do that? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my cell phone number is really easy. Uh, it's 832 618 And my email is sam.navarro at
0: Yeah, and that's the website for IPC as well, ipcindustrieslp.com, correct? Yep. Awesome. Folks, that's where we will break things today. I want to thank Sam so much for his time, and I also want to thank you for listening. If you want more from us as an association or the publications within the association, I strongly urge you to check out amp.org, codingspromag.com, and materialsperformance.com for all sorts of recent news related to protective coatings and corrosion control. For Sam, I'm Ben. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new episode.